Well, hello there. This is Jim the Keys bartender coming to you from a still steamy Florida Keys. And we are definitely, you can see a lot of activity in the Caribbean Basin uh, approaching us. I know I skipped over. If you're not familiar with the Keys bartender podcast, we're uh, a podcast about bartending and Keys life. Well, to get back at it, yeah, there's a lot of things stirring up. There's a lot of crazy weather out there. I understand that. I don't really want to talk about anything unless it's threatening us because it doesn't really matter if it's going into the middle middle of the Atlantic. But it's just as easily in uh, a matter of a week that systems could develop and it could start planning to come our way. But we know the rest of the world is dealing with crazy weather and things like that. I've spoken about climate change in the past. Uh, You know, it it either is or it isn't. And we're going to talk about that a little later. Also, today I wanted to talk about interviewing for a bartending job. And I was just going to give you a little hints out there and stuff like that. And I guess you can use it for almost anything, really, uh, these these tips. Because it's, it's, it's really good to use these tips, even as I think, as a work ethic. So you hear me say a lot of times, read the room. Well, when you go for a job someplace, the first thing you have to do is read the establishment. What kind of establishment is it? Is it a fine dining res- uh, restaurant? Is it a tourist trap? Is it a uh, Mexican restaurant? I, I was thinking the other day it would be really neat to be a bartender in one of those Chinese restaurants in a big city. And the reason I say big city, because if you did it in a small town, you would just be bartending for maybe one or two people, unless you're very good at what you do. Generally, you don't see Chinese restaurants with really active bars. But there's no reason why it can't be. If they have a liquor license, why wouldn't you want it to be crowded? You know, maximize your potential. So the first thing I always tell people, and it's no secret. There's a lot of noise going on. I got helicopters. I have someone with a, uh, it sounds like with a, a snow blower going, a grass blower going, leaf blower going on out there. But yeah, across the street, but that's going to probably end in a moment. And probably not even picking up that sound right now. But hygiene, 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 hygiene is the most important thing in the job. Number one, because even before someone hears you speak, unless you're a screamer or something like that, you're running down the street like a a fire engine, they're going to see you first. And then they're going to smell you, if they get close enough, obviously. And then they should hear from you. So you want to dress appropriately. Obviously, you can overdress for a job. If you wore, you know... a a suit to a job, your bartender at a restaurant, unless it's a very, very super fine dining restaurant, there's some, there's always the exception to the rule. And people say, we, we request our, you know, there's always a possibility says we request our applicants to dress for a formal interview. 
And it's always good to ask and say, when you say formal interview, do you want me to be in business attire? Or is it business casual? Which is more like, you know, in this type of weather down here, a polo shirt and slacks don't go with shorts. Even if you're going to a tropical, like, paradise thing, I always suggest save the shorts for your, if that's part of your uniform, that's great. That's great. And there's always, like I said, there's always exception. exception. They said, oh, well, we use shorts. We ask you to be super casual, blah, 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 blah. Really super casual? What do you mean by that? It's always good to ask some questions, too. So always take heed. I've known people show up for jobs as if they just rolled out of the, off the street, off Skid Row. And no, you know, that, no insult to people that are houseless. You do, you, do have to, you do have to clean yourself up when you're going for a job. It's what they want to see as a minimum. Secondly, your speech should think you should be polite. When you go in, you introduce yourself. You, they introduce themselves. You ask for the manager. If you, if you know there's a position available, say I'm here interviewing or I'm here to fill out an application or I'm in here inquiring into the position you're advertising or are you asking or are you interviewing for these positions? All those are appropriate questions and give them time to answer. And you want to be ready. Like that reading the room part, it doesn't just extend to a hygiene and cleanliness and speech and things like that. It's important to know the drinks you're thinking that they might. If you're, if you're going to a Spanish restaurant, it may be good to have a couple sangria recipes under your belt. Okay? Maybe uh, rum, margaritas. You can always check online. Right? You can always check their menu online. Look and say, oh, these people have a lot of uh, different wines. Acquaint yourself with some of the wines. Are you familiar with wines? I said, you know, I would, I would study the wines that you had here and know what uh, to suggest. And I see you have a wide assortment of wines by bottle and by the glass. Doing a little research beforehand is always a good way to let people know that you have the potential to have attention to detail. So if you're going into a club atmosphere, a busy, busy club where you know there's crowds and things like that. And sometimes I'll even post videos of it if you want to. You know, there's always someone posting a video. You can just go to YouTube and pull one up. You know, say this is a, a fancy waterside club in your town. And you say, well, I'm going to, if you haven't been there, if you have been there or you haven't been there, if you know it's high volume, you want to be uh, Focusing on the natural things they're concerned about. And they're going to be concerned about your speed. And like they would in any place, but it's even more essential, your ability to work with others. Because if it's a busy place and it's a big place sometimes, you'll be working with other people. And they want to know that you work well with others. It's common sense. And yes, it's good to be an individual Tell them, like, your prompt, you know, the importance of promptness. I like showing up. I like being prepared for my work. 
I like having everything ready when my shift starts. I used to have, I tell people, I said, boy, I have nightmares about not being ready when I open, like not having anything, showing up at a place. And I tell them, I say, that's my, uh, that's my deep-seated neurosis. And it sounds kind of negative, but you're letting them know. And in this case, I would be letting them know that it's really important to me, you know, conversely, because I told them that's a neurosis, it's very important that I'm prepared when I go into work. And generally, management likes to uh, see that. Now, these are all the things. I, I originally, I'll tell you a, a brief story about mine. You may have heard it in on a previous episode. Back in the mid-80s, I was a, a sophomore in college. And I wanted to get a job at a nightclub. Unfortunately, I had limited bartending experience. I had some banquet bartending experience. It wasn't a lot of fancy drinks and things like that. I've done, you know, I did some basic banquet bartending. Not that banquet bartending is bad, but depend depends on what kind of establishment you're working. You know, that's the kind of drinks that you were making. So what I did is I took a little black book, a little black address book, and I started recording drinks that I think I should know that's popular because I didn't know what like what a golden Cadillac was or um, perhaps a zombie. And it's funny because back in the 80s, I was reading bartending books that were written in the 50s. And those drinks were not pertinent to those. Like I studied how to make Harvey Wallbangers. Harvey, Harvey Wallbangers weren't popular since, I think, maybe the early 70s or something like that. And there's all sorts of old drinks, but they're also the drinks do come back. There's classic drinks like the martinis in, in Manhattan's and old fashions. It's just like music, I guess. You know, you ever hear pop music and uh, you hear a song and you say, oh, what a great song. But that song after, you know, it was popular in 1997. You don't hear it unless you hear on a station that plays music from 1997 because the song didn't really carry over. It wasn't a classic. It was a fad. This fads passed. So studying drinks that are no longer popular and your themed restaurants too. If you're in a 1950s restaurant, you maybe should study some 1950s drinks. But if you're in like a Margaritaville or something like that, you definitely want to know your margaritas, your frozen margaritas, your, your rum runners and all these different frozen drinks. You can make pina coladas, lime rickies. You know, make make your, you know, I, I make this particular drink. Most drinks you can just, and, and bring a drink that's unique to you with you sometimes. You have a drink that you like to uh, make. And I always, in the last couple of years, because I worked at a restaurant down here that was kind, kind, kind of upscale for down here. And we made a peanut butter martini. And when that restaurant disappeared, then that was their specialty. Now they make it at the sister restaurant next door. But there's other people that other people make the peanut butter martini now too. And no one in the beginning, it's funny, people don't like these blender drinks. Bartenders don't like these blender drinks, uh, let's say. 
and that's a it is the peanut butter martini is a blended is a mixed drink it's mixed in a mixer in a blender so what happens you pick a drink that's people don't like to make they hate it but that's your drink that became my drink no one likes making the peanut butter martinis because it makes the blender messy when you put peanut butter in it you got to clean it by hand but it's also a high-end drink that people don't like and it kind of draws people in and people it makes it it's unique to you you can make it. You can make something. If you can figure out how to make something, like you can make it with Nutella. I said it's a Nutella amaretta uh, thing. If you don't have a nut allergy, I, I guess, you would have a nut allergy, I guess, with the peanut butter martini too. So you have to be careful with the one that you're doing. But you pick a drink that's unique to you and all those things. And you answer the questions. You try, you try not to be, uh, you know, false in your, Let's say you're you're giving a, you know a recount of your experience. You want to be able to tell people that you have experience, but you you also want to be open to being teachable because everyone has their own system. And say, listen, from my experience, I didn't like what I do is I've worked at several places for multiple years. And why'd you move on? And I'll just explain it. It would be a tangible reason. It wouldn't be because I didn't get along with the owners. It wouldn't be that I didn't get along with my coworkers. It would be to say, I was ready for something different. I was ready for something different. I think I was getting a little stale in my presentation and my demeanor. And it's always new. I always thought, and I explain people like this, I always felt it's good to, to change a little every seven years, every eight years. People go, seven, eight years, that's a long time. I said, yeah, I worked at a place for nine years or eight years. And they like hearing that. They don't want to hear, I've been here, here, and here. Now, it's because you moved. Let's say your partner is in the military and you moved along with them. You can tell them that. Well, I worked at this place for a year and this place a year because we moved a lot. I really wish I could have stayed at that place. That's, they love to hear the stability and stuff like that. So all these things I told you in the beginning is how to present yourself, how you like working with people, how you are with particular with details. When you have to be fast, I'm very fast. When I have to be particular, like if you go to a fancy martini bar, you want to be kind of give the impression that you're very meticulous and that you're consistent. They like consistency. And if they do, if you don't want to work for a place, here's a hint. If you don't want to work for a place, tell them you don't like to do it that way. Because they don't like that. They say, oh, I used to do, I used to do, I can make, uh, we like people to use their shot glasses to pour the liquor in. We like measured pours, consistent measured pours. Or we mark our glass, or we do that. Oh, I've done that. Oh, yes. That's a good system and do this. We, we don't use premixes or we do use premixes. Oh, I've done that. I'm comfortable with that. It's really easy, you know, and things like that. And they say, you know, if they say we're more, if the, uh, the management sometimes says we're more uh, concerned about the volume put out and things like that, 
than the visual visual context. We need you to pump out the drinks or we need you to make it look good. So all those things are good. And also, to show that you're really concerned, ask them questions. You need to ask them questions. Do you tip pool? What are my responsibilities? What are my closing responsibilities? What are my opening responsibilities? What am I paid? What's the pay per hour? What's a typical night like? And may I talk to some of your employees if we do get, you know, if you go further along, may I talk to further employees? Because, you know, you need to make money. And what shifts would you expect me to work? What's available now? What, what's the possibility to be open in the future? And you want to be flexible for them. If they're desperate looking for people, they'll let you know that they'll take uh, anybody. Or if they're not, they'll be like, well, you have to do this. You'll have to do, you know, some are regimented. If you feel happy working in a regimented place, that's the place for you. And you got to distinguish the corporate from the family-owned. Family-owned is a little, sometimes it's more freewheeling with uh, their policies and stuff like corporate. Here's our handbook. These are, are the benefits and things like that. And if you're looking for a job where there's growth opportunity, where you can be a food and beverage manager eventually, a bar manager eventually, and move up, that's good to know ahead of time. Don't find out a year later, oh, we don't hire, retire directly from an internship or something from restaurant schools. Things like that. And also be comfortable, be fun, and try to be a little loose way there. They don't want to see anybody to stiff. But you don't want to be too loose. Don't drink before your interview. Don't drink before your interview or do any mind-altering drugs. Stay away from cold medicine and all that stuff. Don't be all antsy. Don't suck on a lot of coffee. You know, maybe it works for you, maybe it doesn't. But, you know, being relaxed and mindful during an interview is essential. Now I'm moving on. I'm sorry, I got a squeaky chair. I wonder if that's showing up there. I got my little... My... uh, chair from the desk. It's very comfortable, but it's a little squeaky. Uh, this week, and you may notice I only had one uh, episode, is a special week. First of all, I'm going to talk about the Keys Bartender gear that's for sale. If you go to www.keysbartender.com, you'll notice we have about seven items, maybe eight items. We got some clothing, we got some wine tumblers, we got water bottles and stuff like that, the Keys Bartender gear for sale. And it has, uh, it's easy to buy, secure, uh, you know, you just click and you enter your information. It's powered by Shopify, so it's secure. The information is secure. That's what most online uh, people, online retailers that do it, uh, that have created, you know, if you go to a lot of other sites, Shopify is the big one. And it's very secure using, it encrypts your data. So you can do that, uh, you know, you can be sure that your payment is uh, secure. And also, remember, if you do buy gear, you're directly supporting the show. And I like to thank all the people that have been buying. It looks like it's going to be very successful. And I appreciate that. So, yeah, I was tugging at the idea with uh, whether I was going to do merchandise or go for a sponsorship. And eventually, you know, maybe a sponsorship 
if I can make it incorporate into the show, make it part of the show, uh, maybe, you know, a distillery and things like that. And I still had one, but, uh, you know, I still wasn't really there with the amount of resources I would have to give up. Mainly it's a time resource to go off site right now while the show isn't making money. So uh, now that it's starting to make money, I can start thinking about, you know, branching out and stuff like that. And that's, that's mainly what it's for. I'm not looking to get rich. And it's really important also because, you know, there's something happening. This week, I turned 60. And I don't know what it is about. You know about my health thing in March? I'm not going to go in details over that. But, you know, I was born in a time when 60 was ancient. I don't feel 60. I go to the gym. I run. I work hard. I have a good time with my family. Uh, I haven't felt very energetic recently because next week I have a procedure. So a procedure, I'm getting a... I'm going to reveal something. I'm getting a, a blockage, an artery uh, unblocked tomorrow. It's going to be an outpatient uh, procedure. And the doctor, it was interesting. We were talking, going back and forth, that, you know, how can, I mean, I'm not heavy. How can I have a blockage? And he said, well, internally, you could be, you know, your my arteries could be shit. And there's only one. And they're going to, they're going to unblock it. They're going to go through both arms. It's an outpatient procedure. There's a small chance of complications, but I'm not really worried about that. I think what happened is my birthday rolled up. I had this thing. It really didn't, you know, the, the thing in March did not stop me. I mean, it did put it was a speed bump. I eased my way back into working out and stuff like that. And I've been doing a moderate amount of exercise to make sure, you know, I don't overdo it. Once I get this block blockage done, then I'll get it checked out again. And then maybe I can get back into going tough at it. But it does kind of put things in perspective and kind of, um, for me, I get really slightly melancholy. And that's recently on my birthday. I wasn't ever a big birthday person. I'm not like a third world dictator. And Americans make a big deal on their birthdays, right? Americans make a big deal on birthday. You know, we have birthday songs and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, maybe in other countries they do that. They have name days in other, like Christian countries, they have name days where it's the, if you're Patrick and St. Patrick's Day, that's your name day, your saint's name day. And they celebrate that. And other people do all sorts of different uh, things, but this thing where we mark our existence each year, it's uh, it just doesn't do it for me, and I don't belittle anybody that likes to celebrate their birthday. I I like to think like, well, it's like weddings. Weddings are like the bride's coronation, right? So they can feel like a queen for a day, and birthdays for some people is like I want to feel special. On your birthday. Well, I've always felt a little special, but it's not always good special, right? 
Sometimes you are the focus, and sometimes it's not good. And sometimes it is good. Right? I'd, I'd like to kind of, I like spreading it out over the whole year. And I heard something from uh, one of my favorite, uh, I wouldn't, it's a night, late night host, Stephen Colbert. And he was just talking about how enjoyable, how enjoyable it is to exist and how he embrace, embraces, I'm paraphrasing, how he embraces some of the bad things that happen in life because it is part of existence and experience. And he had a whole philosophy on that, that there, there was a possibility you wouldn't exist, so you wouldn't know, would you? So being around to experience things is wonderful. And that's the way I view it. And if I take that to my birthday, which is uh, tomorrow, and I share it with my sister, She's a, um, born on the same day, not the same year. A year earlier, she was born. Yes, do the math, she is a year older. But she doesn't look it. That's for her. She doesn't look a year older. She looks five years old. No, no, no. She looks, does not look older. So I'm done with the birthday thing, and I want to finally start wrapping up with an observation. When I was younger... When I was very young, I think it was just the changing of the demographics now compared to when I was younger. We only had print media. You had print media and you had television. You had shows like In Search Of in the 70s. Leonard Nimoy used to. And they would pick conspiracy theories or myths. The Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot alien abductions and all that stuff. And it usually was the fodder for conspiracy nut jobs. Well, now it seems like so many people are embracing the conspiracy model of the way they look at the world. Whether it was COVID vaccines, the government, the Illuminati... Uh, all these things, flat earth, they have exploded. And I think it's kind of like the exposure to the internet because people are able to pitch their argument to an audience that's receptive of it. So if you don't understand how gravity works, right? Or you don't understand, you're not really a big science person. A simplistic conspiracy theory can fit the bill, right? And it's just like, uh, no insult the religions. No insult the religions. But if you think about it, religions are, there's hundreds, if not thousands of religions out there. There's thousands. No, there's thousands of religions out there. There have been thousands of them. And they've taken on lives of their own, the ones that are most propagated. You know, the big, what's it, the big four? Christianity, uh, Muslim, Judaism, Hinduism. I mean, five if you take, uh, did they say Buddhism? Hinduism, Muslim, so there may be, yeah, Zoroaster, 
all these things. And then you have Wiccan, uh, the Star Wars religion out there that people are practicing now. Yeah. And they just come up. They kind of start out, if you think a cult is like a conspiracy theory. If Scientology says a galactic warlord, Zenyu, put uh, people that look just like humans and buried them a trillion years ago against in, around a volcano and blew them up with atomic weapons, which is paraphrasing the founding of Scientology, there's people out there that believe it. There are people. There are people that believe that you look through a, a magic hat with seeing stones, they'll see golden plates with the rules of those things. Or, you know, they, they all kind of slightly similar that someone gets a message from someone who they purport is a higher power and the message was given directly to them. Now, they can't replicate the message. They can't show the message other than to say, this is the way I, I, I heard, and this I wrote it down. But they don't, you know, they don't have the tablets. They don't have the magic plates, the gold, invisible plates. Or Zenyu, Zenyu is not around. You just got to take their word for it. But that's pretty much everything, isn't it? You just got to take your word for everything, not just religion, history, prior events. Any event that doesn't take place in front of you could be fictional. And now you have people that see, they talk about the matrix, that we're living in a simulated uh, world, which kind of actually is it's probably one of the easiest things to try to convince people of because we really, if we delve really deep into it, and I've said this before, we're just interpreting, we're, we are organisms that over hundreds of millions of years that develop eyesight, hearing, smell, touch, that uh, if you believe in evolution, otherwise if we were created out of nothing by nothing, and but uh, if you believe in a science model of how things developed, that we're organisms that develop these senses, and that's the only thing we can experience the world through, really, those senses and our imagination. You can make things up. Maybe they are making things up because we receive certain amount of electromagnetic radiation, which is visual. There's the visual spectrum. That's electromagnetic magnetic radiation. The visual, your visual field. And that's what's around you. And for blind people, it's their sense of touch and their sound, and they have to believe it. And, uh, so we believe the things we see in front of us. And we know by cinematography now, and pretty soon, that they'll be able to replicate images in front of us. They will be. They, that is, I have no doubt that will happen. That um, we will be able to replicate an image of, of a person in front of us that looks real.
They're getting close to it, the 3D projection, right, or holograms and things like that. When they get really good at that, then your eyes will say, I saw this image. I don't know if it was a physical image or a computer-generated one. So you'd have to question everything as being real or not real. And that's, I guess, that's where faith comes in. And that's why religion has been so successful. Because you have to believe in things you really haven't experienced yourself. You have to believe that uh, whatever uh, uh, recounting of a tale is the tale that is correct, and you accept it, and you say, this is, the, this is the way the world is. This is my reality. Because it's very difficult for some people to accept the possibility that things could be different and could be more expansive and be more, let's say... It, 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 Try to grasp one concept. I'm going to talk to you about one concept right now. And that's an infinite universe. And what is an infinite universe? It's a universe that goes on forever. A universe. Now, that's a spatial universe. I'm saying if you go out in one direction, if you were able to go multiple uh, times the speed of light and you'd have to go a million times or a billion times to actually get to far-flung galaxies in a reasonable amount of time, right? That, and you'd have to accept that that's the science behind it too. So you're, you're making several leaps. So if it goes on and on, so almost any combination of possibilities can occur. And that would mean that there's, there, if in an infinite universe, another universe, another person is talking on a podcast saying the same exact thing, I am doing it, because it goes on and on and on and on. And we have to understand that. And with the advent of AI, artificial intelligence, there will be an impossible, there will be a possibility that There'll be infinite narratives invented for almost every person. And they're, uh, they're experiential reality. It's always slightly different. No one has the same, ex- the same experience that someone else does. No one has the same experience with the uh, colors, sounds. It, you, you may think you do. You may agree on theories and stuff like that. You may agree on your conspiracies and all that stuff. But if you talk to someone long enough, their views will diverge. And it gets really, really confusing. But for some of us, we have like, uh, I guess more of this, you know, you'll have people say, you're ridiculous, you're listening to scientists. They're not the right ones. You got to listen to me. Usually, you got to think of it this way. If the experience serves that person, if that experience of the universe or reality serves that person, there is a good possibility that they're doing it 
as a favor for themselves. If a guy comes up and says you can have, um, he has a new religion and he says you can have multiple wives and stuff like that, and um, that serves him too because he probably liked that. Usually a guy who doesn't, who doesn't want to have multiple wives will say, nope, I'm not up for that. If he came up with religion, he goes, one wife, maybe not even a wife. Who knows? The Shakers, I think it was the Shakers in the 1800s. And they, they practice celibacy. It's funny that religion isn't around anymore. Your guess is good as mine. Mine is that they all died. You don't believe in, in sex or procreating. Then chances are you're not getting any new recruits. You're going to have to get new ones. You're going to have to create it. You're going to have to really... Uh, uh, other religions grow their religions. And if you think it's some of the most uh, popular religions are ones that have a lot of children. Right? The, you know, Christians, Muslims, Hindu. A lot of them have, they hold to the sanctity of life and have a multiple, lots of children, lots of children, lots of children. So you can grow the religion. And then you got other ones that are smaller, and they may not be big on that. Like Ju- Judaism, it lasted for a long time, even under very negative pressures for over hundreds and thousands of years. You know, going back to, I was going to say biblical times because biblical times, you know, but, but um, you know, before a common era or BC, originally BC meant before Christ. Now it means before common era, BCE. So we're going to have to, whenever anybody's telling you, they're telling you about their experience and you have your experience. And your experience comes from existence. And everyone can have a different experience of the world. And that's the thing that I'm kind of tugging to on my 60th birthday. I'm thinking, wait the thing that's getting me negative is I'm thinking I'm 60 years old and I'm, you know, I have more years behind me than are ahead of me. And who knows what's going to happen in the next year? Who knows? They may cure old age or may not. The sky's the limit. Who knows what's going to happen to the world? Who knows what these, you know, these stories of these um, unidentified aerial phenomena? UAPs. I mentioned in a previous episode, I didn't get, I called it a UAB. Uh, unidentified aerial phenomena. Maybe there are, and maybe there are aliens out there. Maybe AI will take over. Maybe it is the matrix. Maybe Jesus will come back. Maybe Zenyu will, you know, Scientology will see to a higher level. You know, I, I still always had a hard time with this 144,000 where people got, you know, they took 12 times 12. You know, it's 144. And he said, well, 144,000 people are going to be in the highest level of, the, um, of creation. And people, I, I, I always thought that was a ballsy religion. People said, we're setting, it's like setting a party. We're not going to have any more people than that. 144,000. No, well, there's a secondary one. There's a silver level. Yeah. Well, I, if I create a religion, everyone would be on the diamond level. Everyone be on the diamond level, the top level. Not, you know, they can't create a platinum, can't create that. Who knows? 
who knows? There's a possibility to say, well, we're out there. We're all living spirits. We're out there. We're moving. We're, we're inhabiting flesh. We're experiencing the universe right now. And I've done it for nigh on 60 years. And if we are sitting, if you're one of these people that believe that the universe is a cold, lonely place and we are the soul intelligence in the universe. We're the soul intelligence in the universe going, uh, obviously, if you're a flat earther or, something or whatever, everything's assimilation. This is it. But if you're a believer and, and I mean, I don't even know what to believe sometimes, but I do believe that it's a huge universe out there and it goes on forever. I don't think we're the soul intelligence in the universe. But I still think it's a great, because considering the empty space between us and stuff like that, it's a, a vast, infinitesimal uh, uh, chance of having the opportunity to exist than not exist. I don't know how you'd cal- calculate that. But I think there's so much empty space out there that there has to be there has to be something. And that's the beauty of it. There has to be something. And that mystery is the thing that keeps me going every day and gets me ready for my 61st year. Which, even though I'm 60 years old, after tomorrow, it's my 61st year. Or starting tomorrow, is my 61st year. Where I thought, you know, I was the same age as Santa Claus, I thought, at that time. A Santa Claus could have been 50, maybe. Who knows? I mean, that's the image in my eyes. Or, 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 or God was the picture of a very muscular 50-year-old man on that, on that new genics thing from commercial where he's touching man, you know, we're, you know, wrapped in a cloth with the beard, white beard and all that stuff. Yeah, it's funny. His body is that of a real felt, but his hair is still silver. Okay, well, I'm not trying to egg people on the, you know, birthday congratulations and stuff like that. I do feel uncomfortable about that because um, I really don't you know, say, yep, I made it. I'm lucky I made it. You know, just point to someone and say, I wouldn't have made it if it wasn't for you, you know, and things like that. But I do appreciate you guys for listening. This is my purpose for doing things nowadays. I went a little long today. I call it. I may put it my. I'm gonna put interview, my birthday show. No, if I say interviewing, see, this is my thought process. I'll say birthday show, and that's it. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Have a great day. I will be back again next week. I do have my procedure next Wednesday. I will try to do a show when I'm in the um, recovery room. Okay? If you don't hear from me, don't worry. I will be back. Talk to you later. Bye.